Before we start, uh, Pastor Ken asked me to make two announcements. The first, if you happen to be in this classroom uh, and you're supposed to be in the other classroom, this is your chance to escape. So uh, if you are supposed to be in the newcomer's orientation, that is out those back doors and to the left in classroom one, so you can go ahead and make your way out and I won't take it personally. Uh, second, somewhere, Eugene, he's over there, he's going to be handing out uh, during the class hour, he's going to be handing out or passing around the little flyer for the Trenton Street Fair, Correct. So you can sign up for that, and I'm not going to attempt to give you instructions. You guys are all adults. It can make its way somehow over there, right? Eugene's going to watch it. All right, so we're good. All right, if you'd open your Bibles this morning with me to Psalm 23, please. Psalm 23. And before we begin with the text, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity uh, that we have as American citizens with the freedom that, and privilege that we have to open your word up yet again um, this Sunday morning to consider what you have to say to us because we are needy people. We are dependent people. So this morning, uh, we turn and, and look to you to find our soul's satisfaction And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In the field of psychology, uh, they have come up with a theory called the hedonic treadmill theory. The hedonic treadmill theory. In, In simple terms, this theory suggests that over the long haul, people stay at or about the same level of happiness throughout their life regardless of how their circumstances change. Of course, You know, if they win the lottery, there's a spike. And when there's a death in the family, there's a spike down. But in the end, we as humans return, the survey or the the theory says, relatively quickly to our unique level of happiness. So as a person moves ever so closer to achieving the American dream, having money, their expectations and their desires rise in accordance with their income resulting ultimately, long-term, in no permanent increase in happiness. Thus, the hedonic treadmill theory. In other words, we're never satisfied. Ever. Back in 2011, the median annual household income in the United States was approximately $50,000. A Gallup poll found that those at or below that $50,000 mark said that they would need to earn at least double, $100,000, in order to feel wealthy. And those grossing, and I can't even fathom this, those grossing over $100,000 a year claimed that they would need between $200,000 and $250,000 a year in order to feel well off. Do you see the treadmill? No matter how much we have, we always need, no, 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 we always want more. We're never satisfied, ever. So what would it take for you and what would it take for me this morning to say that we are satisfied? 
Maybe money isn't your thing as it is for most of us, but maybe if you could just find the right person to marry, if you could just get that promotion at work, if you could just get 15 minutes, just 15 minutes a day of peace and quiet and the craziness of your house, if you could just make it during a long Michigan winter to a place warm where the sun actually shines. Thank you. Then yes, then we would find true happiness. How would you this morning in the quietness of your own heart fill in these blanks? I will be happy when... I will be happy if. If I just had, then I wouldn't need anything more to be satisfied in this life. How would you honestly, in your heart of hearts, answer these questions this morning? Who or what are you looking to for the satisfaction of your soul? In the opening line of Psalm 23, the text that we're going to consider this morning, we find that the secret to David's contentment, just as it was for Paul in Philippians 4, it is none other than the Lord. David writes in verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. You see, the secret to David's contentment wasn't found in his possessions. He did have an entire kingdom at his disposal. It wasn't found in his pride, even though the people of Israel were singing his praises. Saul has slain his thousands, but David, his ten thousands. It wasn't found in his position, for he was the king of God's kingdom. It doesn't get any higher than that. That's way better than the president of the United States. Or even in a person. He tried that. And he found himself wanting. No, his secret was not in any of those circumstances. The secret to David's contentment was the Lord, his shepherd. And before we move to the main body of the psalm this morning, I'd like to make just three quick observations of this first statement, that the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. First, and you're not going to be able to write it down, so don't try, just listen Try to soak as much in as possible, and we'll see how it goes. Number one, the Lord, the all-powerful, self-sufficient one, humbled himself to become a shepherd, a servant for his people. The Lord, the self-sufficient, all-powerful one, humbled himself to become a shepherd, a servant for his people. My mind immediately goes to Philippians chapter 2 where he says, where Paul writes, "...in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being very in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by become, becoming obedient 
to death, even death on a cross. So number one, the Lord, the self-sufficient one, has humbled himself to be a shepherd, a servant. Number two, we, his people, we're sheep. That's not a good thing to be. Because we're needy in every way. Left to ourselves, we are an absolute disaster. Did you know that sheep can just fall over and then die because they fell over because they can't get back up again? That's pathetic. But that's you and I. We are a train wreck apart from a shepherd. We are completely dependent upon Him and destined for a discontented life apart from Him. Number three, the promises contained in this psalm, the promises of our shepherd's care, only apply to those who are his sheep. My sheep, as David writes. The shepherd's sheep. Those who have been added to his fold by means of repentance and faith. So the Lord, the self-sufficient one, has in love and humility chosen to become our shepherd. He has become like us. Human. And the result is that we can be fully satisfied. We can lack nothing. We have everything that we need if the Lord is our shepherd. And this psalm shows us three ways in which the Lord, our shepherd, satisfies our needy souls. So if you would look now at the pages of God's Word, we're going to read through the psalm together and begin to see these three ways that the Lord satisfies our soul. And if I could encourage you to do this, try to feel the imagery. Place yourself in the context of the psalm to feel um, what David wants you to feel. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely Your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The first way that we find satisfaction in our shepherd is through His direction. Our shepherd directs us both for our good we see in this text and for His glory. He directs us for our good towards rest. He makes us lie down in green, comfortable pastures and next to streams of flowing, quiet water. Kind of sounds Zen-like. But we're not talking about Zen. He leads us, He directs us to refreshment, restoring and strengthening of our souls. For our good, He directs us towards right paths, helping us to obey. And if you or I are honest, is our shepherd's direction not absolutely necessary for our wandering hearts? As the hymn writer writes in Come Thou Fount, in the last stanza, he says, Oh to grace, how great a debtor, 
daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Why? Because prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. My, oh my, we're needy, aren't we? He directs us for our good, to rest, to refreshment, to right paths, but He also directs us for His glory, for His fame. At the end of verse 3, He says, He directs us for His name's sake. It's for not only our good, but for His. So we can be satisfied in our shepherd because of His direction, but second, we can find satisfaction in Him because of His protection. Look at verse 4. Our shepherd protects us from the darkest valley. Or as those of us who have memorized older versions, the valley of the shadow of death. What in the world does that mean? I think David is referring to our greatest dangers. The most intense dangers that we can face, the greatest opportunities for our fear in this life, he is saying that our shepherd protects us from that. Uniquely though, my first thought is that these greatest dangers come from without. But at least for me, more often they seem to come from within. From the outside, Satan and my enemies try to distract me. They try to distract you. And they try to lure us away from the sheep pen where we are, are, are in safe keeping by our shepherd. And they tempt us to doubt and question our shepherd's care. But this is precisely when our shepherd wields his rod and beats back those who seek to steal, kill, and destroy us. But from the inside, boy, don't we need protection from ourselves? I mean, I I do. Because I'm my own worst enemy. Jeremiah 17.9 says that my heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I can't. Because I think I'm pretty good. James 1.14 says that each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. You see, the problem is not primarily from without. At times, it's even more so from within. Luke 6.43-45 really sticks the finger in, in the wound here. And Jesus says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is is recognized by its own fruit. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks. So what comes out in the life is what the heart is full of. You see, we need protection From the outside, we need our shepherd to beat back our enemies. But we need the shepherd's staff with the curve in it 
to wrap that thing around our necks because you and I are prone to wander. We are prone to leave the God that we claim to love. So he reaches his staff out and he keeps us close. Like the psalmist Asaph in Psalm 73 says, the nearness of God is our good. Before we move on to the third uh, way that the shepherd satisfies us, I'd like to call your attention to one more thing in this verse. And that is how David describes the pace of the person that is going through this darkest valley. Notice what the text says. Even though I... Okay, time to wake up. I've droned on and on for five minutes and you're already sleeping. Even though I sprint. Even though I walk. Really? Does that strike you as odd? I mean, if it were me, I want to get the heck out of there. I mean, I don't like trials. They aren't fun. I don't particularly care for discipline because it usually hurts. I can still remember my dad's, the last spanking I got. It was with a belt and it was painful. I don't particularly enjoy suffering. It's not pleasant. I want to get through to the other side as quickly as I possibly can. I don't know if you feel that same way, but that's the way I feel. I suspect that some of you are feeling the same way as I do, though. I don't want to linger in the darkest valley. That's a stinky place. It's dark. It's gloomy. It hurts. It's painful. Yet David says, even though I walk. How is that possible? How in the world is it possible in the darkest valley, the place of greatest pain, the opportunity for our greatest fears to cripple us? How is it possible to walk and not sprint for the first sign of exit? I think we can endure the sufferings and difficulties of this life with, dare I say it, even joy and patience when we know that our shepherd cares for us. We can walk through the darkest valley because it is God who is the one who directed us into the darkest valley. Just as it was He who directed us into the cushy places of comfort. It's all a part of His direction for our good and for His glory. Therefore, we have, you and I, have no need to fear anything. And yet, we can even find comfort in the darkness of the valley because of God's direction and because of God's presence. You see, the psalmist says that his shepherd is with him. If you are a Christian this morning, if you are part of God's flock, 
Your shepherd is always with you and he is always for you. Our God is with us and our God is for us. Therefore, we need not fear. As one commentator wrote, we are never so conscious of the presence of God as when we pass through life's valleys. So our souls can be satisfied because of our shepherd's direction, because of his protection, and lastly, we are satisfied by his provision. In verses 5 and 6, we find that he, he provides abundantly. Again, I asked you at the beginning, as I read, to try to picture yourself in this context, to think and feel with David as he writes, and consider this. He is preparing a feast for you, a lavish feast with fine oils in the whole nine yards. I mean, this is like the best wedding ever. But get this, he's doing it in your enemy's plain sight. Is that not a remarkable image to consider? A truly remarkable image. So get this. In the midst of you and I running from our enemies, they're pursuing us hard. The Lord's protection and provision for us is so comforting to us that we can relax and dine with Him. We can pitch a tent, put our feet up, and find rest and provision in our shepherd. My tendency would be to grab my stuff and run. But the Lord's provision is so abundant that He prepares a feast in our enemy's plain sight and His protection and provision is so rest-inducing to us that we can sit and dine with Him in the midst of the darkest valley. He provides abundantly. He also provides aggressively. He says, Surely your goodness and love will follow me. So as hard as the enemies pursue after you, as hard as you try to make a wreck of your life, because you are sinful and I am sinful, even more, the Lord promises to pursue you, to hunt you down with His goodness and His love. Aren't you thankful for that? This is good as done. I mean, this is a guarantee, signed, sealed, and delivered. You can take it to the bank because He says, surely. And when I was a kid, I always thought that was talking about a lady. And I found out that was not correct. Surely means certainly, not a lady's name. Oh, love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in Thee. He provides for us aggressively. We can have confidence in His provision. And He provides for us eternally. Because as David ends, he says that his sheep will dwell in his house with him forever. What amazing love. What amazing care. 
that our shepherd cares for us like this. So our shepherd satisfies our soul by direction, protection, and provision. And so this morning, if the Lord is your shepherd, you lack nothing. You have at your disposal everything that you need because you have the Lord. At the beginning, I, though, I mentioned that the promises of this amazing psalm are not only are, are only applicable for those who have, are one of the shepherd's sheep. So, may I ask you this morning: Is the Lord your shepherd? Are you one of His sheep? The Lord. He shepherds us through His Son, Jesus Christ, who is called in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, the Good Shepherd. Jesus writes, or actually Jesus said, as recorded by John, in John 10, verse 11, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. And then just five verses later, Jesus says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear My voice. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. So for the blessings of Psalm 23 to be true, we're not going to take time to read Psalm 22. You can do that in the privacy of your home, own home this afternoon. But you go look at the prophecy of the suffering servant in Psalm 22. So for 23 to be true, Psalm 22 had to happen. So for the blessings of this psalm to be true, our self-sufficient Lord had to become a humble, despised shepherd who died in the place of stupid, stubborn, sinful sheep like you and me. Serving them by meeting their greatest need, the forgiveness of sin and a right standing before God in order to enter His fold. If you have yet to do this in your life, I would, I, I can't encourage you strongly enough to, to repent this morning of your sins that have separated and alienated you from God. And that you would turn and trust in the work of Jesus Christ. His sinless life, His death, and His resurrection on your behalf. He is our sinless servant, shepherd, substitute. We could go on and on. He is all that you need. He is all that I need to be satisfied in this life. So if you are looking for a satisfied life, it can only be found in the fold of our Good Shepherd. Okay, Christian. I wonder if you, like me, might be sitting there thinking... You know, the facts of this psalm sound pretty good. I mean, He directs us. He protects us, especially in the darkness. That's pretty cool. He meets our needs. I'm down with that. But then you think about the circumstances of your particular life. The heartache that you're going through. Do those two things seem to contradict ever? Maybe now? The Lord, 
our shepherd being our director, our provider, our protector. Yet life just doesn't seem to be going that way. So could I ask you, Christian, do you trust God? Do you trust Him? Do you trust that through Jesus Christ, the Lord is shepherding you well? Do you actually believe the facts of this psalm even in the midst of your unique and particular dark valley? When the wheels of your life seem to be flying off Do you trust in your shepherd's direction? That for those who are in Christ, God is causing all things to work together for the good of those that love Him. For those who are called according to His purpose. Are you trusting that God will finish the good work that He has begun in you? Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. When it seems like everything or maybe everyone in your life is turning against you. You just can't catch a break. Are you trusting in your shepherd's protection that nothing will ever, 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 ever be able to separate you and I from the love of Christ? Nothing. Not a thing. When the money is tight, when the income, the expenses aren't jiving, when you're not sure where your next paycheck is going to come from, do you have wholehearted trust in your shepherd's provision? That through Christ, God has blessed you with the best things, every spiritual blessing in heaven is yours. As First Peter says, you have an inheritance that cannot perish, spoil, or fade, and it's reserved in heaven for you and I. Yet practically, even in the midst of our day-in, day-out struggle, Matthew 6 tells us that the Father knows what we need even before we ask. And He meets our needs. Can I also ask you this, and this might be a little bit intrusive, because you don't know me very well, and I don't know many of you very well. But is it possible that you could, maybe you, you, you trust God. You say, yeah, yeah, I, th- I believe that stuff. I mean, I struggle with that, and, you know, all of us do, if we're being honest. But can I ask, is it possible that you might be distracted this morning? Not from listening to me because there would be a lot of reasons to be distracted from listening to me. But is it possible that you might be distracted by the worries of life? I know I can very much get distracted by the worries of life. And when I find that I get distracted by the worries that, that cripple my heart, I find that my belief in God's satisfying my soul is being challenged. I find myself questioning. You know, God, I'm just not sure you're coming through the way I'm thinking you should. 
I doubt the goodness of my shepherd. I kind of question whether or not he's really good after all. Are you distracted by sin? I know that when we sin, we're not only questioning the satisfaction that the Lord provides, we are denying His satisfaction. We are denying His grace and goodness in our lives. We are saying, no God, you're not good. You're not gracious. You are not the shepherd that you say that you are. I'm taking my life into my own hands and I'm taking control. Are you distracted by the worries, the stuff of life, or by sin in, in your life? The author of Hebrews says it this way in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, let us throw off everything that hinders. Good stuff. But stuff. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. My mind thinks of, because I like golf, my mind thinks of when I go out and I play golf in cold weather, I hate having to layer I hate playing golf in cold weather, cold weather for numerous reasons, but in particular because I have to wear so many layers of clothes. And when I've got a shirt, an undershirt, a long sleeve sweatshirt, a jacket, all of a sudden it cramps my style. I, I, I want to throw all that stuff off to where I'm just wearing my shirt and my shorts and I'm out there and I can swing freely. I want to unhinder and unencumber myself and remove the weight that hinders. I also like to stay out of the weeds. Two weeks ago, I got the privilege of playing the one, the coolest course I've ever played um, because I have a co- the coolest job in the world. And I had to go and play in the place of my boss at a course in Wisconsin called Whistling Straits. Now, those of you that aren't golfers, which are probably most of you, they had the PGA Championship there several years back. The grass, if you miss the fairway, it's kind of like target practice. The grass is like this high. Good luck finding your ball. I did everything that I could to stay out of that junk. Because when you get in that junk and you go to swing and your club hits that, that junk, that junk is not kind to your club. And it's therefore not kind to the direction of your golf shot. It wants to grab it and turn it closed, and off to the left it goes if you even hit the ball. So we must delayer ourselves. We must under, unhinder ourselves from the stuff of life, and we must throw off the sin that so easily entangles us and gets us off our game. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I leave you with this. As we walk out the door, new challenges are going to arise. As I think it's Pastor Ken and probably a bunch of other pastors have said, you're either in a trial, coming out of a trial, or getting ready to go in another one. 
and none of us know what that next one's going to be. So as we walk out and a new trial arises, or old enticements lure their ugly heads, or maybe Satan comes up with some new clever strategies to, to weigh us down and to lure us away from the care of our shepherd. Or old worries die hard. May we trust, may you and I trust our shepherd to be our sole satisfaction. With him, if the Lord is your shepherd, you truly lack nothing. You have everything that you need. So may you and I, practically speaking, as we walk out of here today, may our gaze be fixed upon the Christ, the good shepherd of our souls through whom God shepherds us. We can and we should be satisfied right now because we have all we need in our shepherd through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is timely and that it meets us where we are. And that a psalm like this where we can think deeply about it and and look at it from different angles and consider it from different perspectives. But we cannot walk away without being amazed at how you are an amazing shepherd who cares for us, your sheep, so well. And underlying all of this is our need to trust your shepherding care over us, your direction, your protection, your provision. May we look to Christ who has met our greatest need and allow that, since he has met our greatest need, to to dwarf any worry and any fear and any concern that we might ever have that you would fail to meet the lesser needs that we have in our lives. Help us to trust you, our shepherd and our savior. In your name we pray, amen.